It's only entertainment. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we got Joey Bravo and Mitch Pfeiffer, both from Respect My Region. Guys, thanks for being on the Talking Hedge. Thank, Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, Mitch, what is Respect My Region for those that don't know? Uh, man, we're everything. No, we are a, a, a media marketing and, and brand in the cannabis and music space. Um, we have a couple of different arms of our business. What most people are familiar with is our online media publication, which was derived from a clothing and lifestyle and event brand. So while we are a media publication, we have some lifestyle components that are kind of unique to most media companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also are a marketing agency within the cannabis and music space. And when we do music, it's, it's predominantly hip hop, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the genre and culture that we're derived from, but we do cover more than just that. Mm-hmm. And we're soon to have numerous products and some things out on the market, um, potentially, you know, in the cannabis space. And we do have a CBD brand right now as well. Okay. Well, it's not just, it's not just cannabis, I guess, right. You're, it's not your, your total focus. You guys are into like music and whatever else. I mean, you, people tend to be good at what they like, right. So yeah. if you guys got into like trying to promote tap dancing or something. You might not be that successful uh, or maybe you would, I don't know. Maybe you got the algorithms down. What, what was it about the industry that, that made you kind of pivot into cannabis or has, has that always been a part of your life? I know, Mitch, you were slanging what, like, not eight tracks out of your trunk, but you know, you weren't you weren't you selling some stuff out of your trunk for a while? I sold a couple different things out of the trunk over the years, um, you know, and and they're predominantly in the the music and and cannabis space. Uh, you know, started with skateboards when I was real young before I before I just you know fully discovered cannabis. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we first started Respect My Region, you know, it was a clothing company but also through events. At the time, I was a music producer and a DJ. Joey was also a DJ, and that's kind of how we met. We started collaborating um, through some music endeavors. And Joey big did- Big parties, big parties. And, and Joey did uh, hip-hop and EDM back then, so he was kind of split. So he honestly, you know, uh, Armar dived into the EDM realm, and that was all 100% all him at a certain point. But, um, you know, I come from the music community. You know, I was never a, a rapper, but I- I produced and handled the business for artists. So I very much associate with kind of the struggle rapper or the independent rapper trying to get signed. That was a, a lot of my life was spent with that goal was to get a rap, rap, various rappers I worked with on where I did the beats and handle a lot of the business behind the scenes. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And all of that in the early days of RMR were all, you know, funded from cannabis, you know, pre, pre-industry. So people can take that however they want to take it. But, you know, very much involved with the commerce of cannabis um, at, at a fairly high level back then. And there wasn't much, you know, education or like I said, there was no industry. And so a lot of the connects, whether they're growers or eventually owners of dispensaries or collectives or caregivers, um, you know, I was just in that world and very passionate about new strains and flavors and constantly finding better cannabis um, and having access to more strains and flavors. And so by the time cannabis got legalized, it was like, hey, we've already been doing this, you know, and learning about this behind the scenes for so long. I think we can start leveraging our events and our media platform to support this industry um, because we're really, you know, we're really from this. Mm-hmm. We went to um, we went to MJ BizCon. I got I, well. First off, I was working at Microsoft, and we were blogging a ton. We were started to get up to ninety, you know, I think 50, 60, 70 blogs a month, which was two, three, four a day. Mitch was writing a lot. I was writing a lot. Other people were writing three to four to five a week with us, mm-hmm. and it got you know it got to the point where we were like, damn, we're putting in a lot of work. We're still not seeing revenue. And then uh, I lost my job at Microsoft on the last day of my contract and didn't get re-signed nothing like that and so i went 90 days seven interviews at seven different pot shops across seattle and bellevue and renton and north seattle everett did one in tacoma um got to the second or third round where you meet the owners or the gm type of situation and they all picked someone older than me and with better corporate experience and the one person that gave me a shot was 23 years old, was a part of my interview for three minutes before a phone call took him out of the interview and said, Joey, I love everything that you're saying. 
I need you to put together a game plan for how you're going to do this with me. Uh, if you're willing to grow with me, I'm willing to give you a shot. And that was October 2016. And that was less than an hour after being interviewed by Leafly for a brand ambassador program. So I was Leafly's first brand ambassador uh, originally for their for their first program. And within an hour after that interview, I went to another one for a pot shot, my eighth interview and got lucky. And um, at that point, it really changed my life because all of a sudden uh, we, you know, we immediately were trained uh, medically certified in cannabis. So from day one, I knew more than 99% of other people about cannabis, except for growers. And then day two, um, here it is 2016 and we're only one of two states that has recreational weed. So it was just like, we were quite literally pioneers in the recreational cannabis space from a bud tender on the floor, selling weed to actual grocery customers, weed, the real, real citizens, not just like, oh, just weed people like moms coming in, grandmas coming in, tourists coming in. We really got that. And then it wasn't until, um, November of 2017, uh, after being in the space for about, about a year where we officially were like, all right, we are ready to go full force. We have a, we have footing, we've been places, we know people, we can do things. And so we did our first event in September of 2017. And then we did, um, our first, first event, event with cannabis in, in collaboration with our first event with cannabis in like empowering the event you know sponsors and smoking outside and things of that nature uh the industry attending for free shit like that and september of 2017 and then an MJ, we went to mj biz right after that and realized everyone's really bad at marketing <laughs> back then back then and it was obviously there was a lot of the chad talk and the canadian funding talk and this and that and so we went there and talked to these people and it was very clear that their eyes would light up when they were talking to us and the passion and that we were early. And so we wanted to, um, we quickly learned that the power of content could really help people and inform. And, and that's how we really fell into cannabis. So about 11 months after bud tending and just working and going to some things here and there that it was like, all right, there's a, there's a lot left to be done here. So. I just interviewed a, a couple of folks, uh, George Jage of um, MJ Brand Insights and MJ Unpacked. He said it's the year of the brand. And I just spoke with the, the CEO and CFO of, of Weed Maps, who said that they're seeing that more customers are still looking at the effects over um, brands, but that he feels like 2022 is going to be the year of the brand. What's your opinion about that? Is it still going to be the highest THC at the lowest price point or are people looking for specific cultivars? I know cookies is one of the most popular ones out there um, based on, on the, the actual genetics or the, the cultivar and not just the hype. Can I say that? It, Mitch and I are in alignment that if you look at the data, the consumer market doesn't lie. So I don't like to offer my opinion really on this. I like to say, everybody go look at headset or look at that. And everyone is strain loyal. They're THC loyal. They are dollar loyal. They are convenience loyal. So I don't, I will go against that and say, there is not ever going to really be a year of the brand in cannabis because mm. consumer markets always dictate uh, what they're going to buy. And although cookies is the biggest brand, um, you'll definitely see that a cookies customer per headset is going to buy more than just cookies for sure. They buy seven to 12 different products and usually seven to 12 different strains are what they're are in their ecosystem of comfortability. And that really dictates um, what strains will sell in the market. This is why you don't see blue dreams anymore. This is why you don't see GDPs. This is why strains are, have been lost uh, to some extent on the commercial market because the numbers simply point to high THC, gassy citrus, uh, not, not, not necessarily the same in the same thing because people get anxiety over the gas and the citrus sometimes, but yeah. people are really looking for, you know, high THC. These dispensaries strictly bring in customers based on how well they market high THC time strain. Uh, unpack that a little bit because I find that interesting that the Acapulco Gold and the, the White Widow and the Blue Dream and the um, wedding cakes and, and whatever else is, is going to be popular all kind of fade away. It's not because people are necessarily losing the seeds or genetics. It's because it's not a high enough THC percentage. 
I mean, when you look at the biggest states in the, in the actual cannabis markets, the most customers are buying based on THC and strain. And if it happens to be a strain that they're familiar with, they're like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. Like I'm comfortable with that. I think, I mean, I think culturally has the big effect on strains, right? Like cannabis is something where you look at the, you know, the, the heads or the real, the, the people that are really driving the industry at the front of the train and all of them are looking for the next, the next best thing and crossing, taking what's hype and crossing it with something and, and making something new. There's this component where we're always searching for new and, you know, smokers like Joey and I, who are probably any flower brands, ideal customer, because we consume so much of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though we have our staples, we're always trying something, you know, we're always looking for something new, even though we have our staples. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, culturally it takes one Migo song where they hit the, you know, gelato on the ad lib. And then all of a sudden you have this big consumer demographic that's like driving towards gelato. Or, and then, you know, you hear a young Dolph and different rappers like drop certain strains and bars. And I think as it gets popular in the, you know, in the cannabis community, and then as you add these cultural influence outside of that, that builds up certain hype on these strains. And then when those strains actually live up to the hype where you see like a gelato is a great strain, you can get a high THC out of it. It's a great flavor. It's, you know, that one stood the test of time. Whereas you look at like a purple punch had its quick little thing, but it's not anybody that knows anything. It's a pretty looking plant, but it doesn't deliver beyond that. So it had its little moment, but it didn't really live up past that little moment. And so it's kind of faded away. So I think culturally kind of dictates the strains and, and I'll echo off of Joey's. I definitely, I mean, when you look at data of what sheer volume of what's selling it's THC and price point, I do think within that um, brands that are able to bring a feel, a component, a look, a professionalism while catering to these THC and, and price point. Um, I think they can carve out an audience because that's how you recognize something off the shelf. That's how, oh, I want a high THC. Well, you don't just want that. You want it from this brand. And I don't think we're quite at that level. You know, again, the people driving the train, they're very brand conscious and they're there, but that's not the volume. You know, anyone that's a snob, like a personal consumer snob that really cares about brands on a high level, they're not a part of the demographic that's really purchasing volume. And I don't like to echo Joey's thing. I don't think we're there yet. So like in one stance and in one side of the conversation, I'll be like, yeah, the year of the brand, like that's already been here. It's not 2022. It's been here. But also when you look at the data, I still think that we're pretty, we're still a ways away from, from brands really carving out. And I think it really has to do with brands. So many brands don't hold a position or they're all competing. It's the same thing in music. They compete for the exact same thing like they get caught in this rat race of competing with one another without understanding like, Hey, we're all fighting for the same goal where there really can only be a one, two or a three player there. But like a hundred of us are fighting for that. And none of them are like, let me just go to the left or the right a little bit and just own this, this conception of the market. And so once more brands kind of identify positioning and where they go in the market and their brand aligns with their cost their their THC percentage and their offering, I think then we'll see brands really start to carve out more more uh, market share. How We're going to you- differentiate on this a little bit too, because uh, for me, cookies is so far ahead of everybody else that it's they've again he already he said it's already there's already been brands. We our Washington's market had weed brands day one that came from the medical market. So these other states that didn't have a medical market, they just started off with this 2015 era Ford. Uh, to now era of, uh, of, you know, some version of legalized cannabis, they didn't get a culture, they didn't have brands, all that stuff came from Cali came from the West Coast, a little bit here and there on the East Coast. And, and, and to Mitch's point, anybody in music is so far ahead in terms of actual digital footprint, it's not even fair. So you look at brands like Connected and Alien Labs, and you look at brands like The Cure Company, and you look at brands like uh, who, the parent company with Jay-Z, it doesn't even matter how bad the weed is at this point. If they have the right strains, a couple of them with the right THC points, and it just has to be recognizable. And to Cookie's point, Cookie's is so much bigger than all of them, because even though Jay-Z is the GOAT to so many people, when you have like, I'll just, you, we have a song on one of our playlists called uh, uh, Too Many Goats or something, and it's literally burner future jada kiss like you got like five rappers on there that collectively have over a billion followers right Mm -hmm. and then on top of that you look at just their stream footprint 
then their ecosystem on Google, their ecosystem on YouTube, then their press, your brand is associated with all that in terms of cookies. And I haven't even mentioned Rick Ross there. Again, there's just so many different components to this cookies, this cookies brand that every, that makes every other company 20 years behind them in terms of that. And like, even then that would require them to start working with Drake right away, the biggest celebrity right away and all on the same team, because you have burner, you've got Wiz, you've got all like, there's like 15 rappers all under the cookies ecosystem and mm-hmm. they all are multi multi-millionaires mm-hmm. all no. big ass celebrities. But I would, I would argue that burner isn't that famous as a rapper, you know, Willie Nelson in Washington had to leave because no one cared. The data shows no one cares about the rappers. Canada doesn't even allow to have, you know, um, celebrities at all. Why is it that rappers have influences over strains, but their their own brands don't really matter? Like, in my opinion, no one cares about the rapper's brand. Like, cookies aside, no one cares about Burner. So, so how how is it that rappers influence but can't sell it themselves? You have influence. Well, the argument is that they do because when I go to the cookies events, they crush it. There's line. They're the only stores except for Stizzy with lines around the blocks in every state, every single store opening, and it's reflective of Burner and his celebrity friends. So I counter to that by saying I respectfully 100% disagree with that because they may not sell the fastest off the shelf. Because no one, no, and is he the exception? Because no one in LA is is really screaming for leaps by Snoop, are they? I mean, like I said, Willie Nelson left. That's not a brand for sale in California. Snoop has doggy style with cookies. That one moves, but but I will say, but to, to answer that question, I will say, you know, cookies and burner even said it recently like cookies has surpassed burner for sure at this point like cookies is more recognizable than burner but i think he was a first mover and he was an authentic first mover yep um and you know he Mm. also was responsible for like the branding just around girl scout cookies the strain which if you were it doesn't matter if you were in medical cannabis or you were just on the streets you know girl scout cookies was the biggest fucking thing to happen to weed in the last 20 plus years and so the current generation that we have that has seen legalization he has just been monumentally like influential from the strain level to the clothing level to the brand level and i will agree he is not that big of a rapper but he has this advantage where cookies is a clothing company he has a cookies tour bus he can run advertisements for his music or for his clothing he pulls up in a, he tra- drives in a tour bus with a fucking cookies billboard all over it, all across the nation. You know, he has this unfair advertising avenue. And I think he's built enough respect in the hip hop realm that while he's not the biggest rapper or most well-known, he is very respected and just his authentic connection to cannabis and just his branding, who he is, his product, his brand are so in alignment that it's been effective. Where you look at traditional rapper weed or rapper brands, you see a rapper release their name on a product. And, you know, we, we all know the supply chain of cannabis, it's a small margin game. You add a celebrity on there. Now you're just jacking up the price to make sure they get the cut. And it's usually, you know, a lot of people are going to say, why would I pay more for this face on it when I can get the same lead for five to 10 bucks cheaper right next to it? But Burner has been able to even surpassing him with the cookies brand and naming where I just think there's such a consumer demand for what he does that he can charge that price and they're able to set the trends and lead with just unique genetics. And like what Joey said, they're just they're, they're so far ahead of the curve. Everyone else is like stamping their name on a Mylar bag or trying to compete where Burner and cookies is just they're just dry, you know, like back to the example, they're just at the front of the fucking train. They're a billion dollar clothing company with, with, with multiple hundred million dollar raises. Right. And he's, he's not, I don't, I think he maybe, I don't think he has any platinum songs, but he, again, when you, the most recent, he's bigger now as an artist than he's ever been because he's in the weed game bigger than he's ever been. So mm-hmm. Although we feel, although we look at his career, like he's really not that big of a rapper as of today, his numbers, the amount of revenue he makes from music, it's bigger and more with more fans than it's ever had. So as we look back through all the Instagram posts and look back through all the different drops that they've ever done, they're only going to be bigger going forward because the fan base is so much larger because the muse he's now touring. And when he goes into any city, the biggest artists from that city now pull up including Drake. 
which is the biggest artist in the world. Okay. I just want to need to make sure everybody knows that Bieber and Drake, biggest two in the world. You can go down the road and try to find some other singers and stuff. Those two go anywhere. The culture is the culture is interested in what's going on. And so Burner is on the podcast and Cookies has definitely started to really catch up with or even like Mitch's point to really surpass him. Um, product, yeah, it's always between an eight and a nine. You know, it's is it the, always the best? No, but it, you can trust that the brand is going to always deliver between that rough, rough quality. There's definitely a consistent store experience that, man, always align around the block. Uh, for all their drops. They work with the best seed genetic banks. Compound Genetics was the most recent cookies drop here in Maywood for seeds, 350 a pack. So people will go in there to, and buy 20, 30, 40, 50 grand in seeds. Like there's nowhere else. There's no other dispensary in the world that does things like that. Yeah. Cult culturally, you go to the cookie store on Maywood and you see guys from all guys and girls from all over the country in rented vehicles with chains on you know, getting that cookies on Instagram is like a, it's a cultural standpoint where these other artists have, they just haven't got to that level. You, I can't yeah. hold up a bag of whatever else. And people are like, Oh my God, how is it? I've been, you know what I mean? It just, they've been able to carve out that name and demand that we just haven't seen elsewhere. In your opinion, what creates that rabid fan? If I can use a, a traditional example in Seattle, there's the men's room on KISW who will launch something and their fans just absorb it. And in contrast, there's other influencers that have 3 million followers and they can't sell a minimum three dozen t-shirts. What is it about swag in the industry that makes people want to just rip it off the shelf? There was the Northwest Cannabis Classic in Tacoma uh, or actually this one was in Portland where um, everyone came in, they saw the rack of clothing of stuff for sale and they literally just ransacked it because they assumed that the swag was free, just stole like $20,000, $30,000 worth of merch. So what is it about like swag in the industry and how does somebody like Burner get somebody to actually pay for it? I, I Got mean, you. Well, Mitch, you're the clothing guy regionally. You go ahead and do it. I mean, I, I think it just, it comes down to high, you know, hype and demand and what's real, right? Like a lot of celebrities and a lot of artists are a product of a system, right? Like if we compare it to like basketball, they're not an all-star player, but they're put in with an all-star, you know, hall of fame coach and an all-star cast and they are able to elevate in their position. And yeah, a lot of celebrities, goes up. a lot of celebrities, right? Like a lot of mainstream artists, you take away their radio play. Like, a, you know, I was joking about French Montana or whatever. You take away his radio play and some of his radio songs, like his career is just tanking. He doesn't have whatever he, I don't know what it is. He doesn't have this where you look at a tech nine or a burner or an e4 i mean and burner followed in the footsteps of e40 and these other guys from the bay that have put you know that took this independent out the trunk mindset where they built a following that they were able to monetize and leverage regardless of infrastructure system radio player money and so you take those type of guys and you watch them build. And then when they hit that fucking hockey stick moment where even like Supreme is a clothing brand, when that really took its hockey stick moment, you know, it already Supreme was already selling out, you know, and then reselling for crazy. But once it became even more mainstream, the demand, you know, you saw him sell for what was it for? Was it a billion, four billion? I don't know. Yeah, you know, you billion. saw a crazy fucking demand, but mm -hmm. it started as something small and organic. And it grew with a real, true, authentic, organic audience. And that's where you look at so many celebrities or, you know, whether it's clothing or weed, when they attach themselves to that, their celebrity is a product of a system and not like a real authentic connection to a rabid fan base. That's where you see a guy like Burner who has a much smaller platform than a Snoop Dogg, but his fans just want and love so much. They're ready to buy, you know, Burner puts out fucking like four albums a year, you know, like mm. he can just churn out clothing music and his fans are ready to consume it. And he's just been able to continually build that where you look at other guys that are just, you know, they're a product of TV or the system. They're not necessarily, people aren't bought into them past their celebrity. So and uh, who examples? Seth Rogen, we are saying product of the system. Yes, he's a weed guy. Yes, he's a celebrity. Yes, he smokes and does all that stuff. 
but he's burner was a bud tender he was in san francisco he was an artist and again when you take your product and you stick it in the hands of other people who have built-in communities like rmr people like us think you know people think we have an authentic aspect into this community a real relationship to it i'm an actual bud tender from from the industry i had to start from the bottom mitch used to move and go down to Portland and do his thing. And we, we did our thing in college, right? Where we come from, that's, that's us together. Now, imagine if you were a bud tender in San Francisco, then you got into move and you met a bunch of the other rappers and you became a rapper and then you created the best strain. You are now automatically, if you just spend a tiny bit of money and go places, you are going to connect with the other elite people in the other places. And that's where Mitch and I, even the last four years with us in cannabis, three years, three years mainly, we started to go places and now we started meeting people and now we move, we sell things easier. Now we sell product easier because of the relationships and being able to stick, uh, being able to stick something in some person's hand and knowing that that person, their fan base is rabid. Wiz partners with Rick Ross. Rick Ross never flops. He's one of the most consistent artists in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg, 30 years. Okay. Uh, they've got uh, Dave East. The new New York is set for cookies as soon as it drops. As soon as they're legal, they're set. He has artists from all over. They're good, and that's where the empire is already established because they 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 stuck cookies and had packs and Migos, Migos, Migos. You know, Migos was literally the Beatles for like three years. They they had bigger streams and bigger traffic than some of the biggest artists ever historically in the world. Insane. So when you have those relationships and rabid fan bases built in, whatever that, whatever that rapper wears, whatever colors, whatever jewelry they're wearing, whatever Justin Bieber's sweatpants say here in LA, people are paying attention to that. Remember, the, remember all those believers? <laughs> yeah, now, they're, now they buy weed. Like, and they all go and try that shit. Wherever he shops, they go. It's in that, we all, it stays top of mind. We pay attention and we listen. And even like Mitch and I, like we really... Uh, I have, I got the Allen Iverson weed. Was Allen Iverson known for smoking weed? No. Product of the NBA system, a very strong hustle, put himself with all the right people in the world of weed in the, over the last two years. Next thing you know, I'm spending $75. But, he, but he's a perfect example. His brand, you know, Iverson is a brand, as an individual, is a very, very powerful brand. You know, you could yeah. slap him on anything that's adjacent to whoever he is as a personality or authentically connects to who he is, and, it, and it's going to sell. Is it because of the health aspect to it? Like live rosin, like resin sells up in Canada, 400% year over year because of the perceived uh, healthy aspect is, is the retired athlete, the equivalent to that? Why is it that his, why is it that his brand is succeeding and maybe others have failed? I think, I mean, I just think culturally, you know, Alan Iverson sold fucking rap albums and he's a garbage rapper. He's even came (laughs) out and been like, I don't even know what I was thinking. But like he he sold albums like Iverson is just such a cultural he icon. Still has a Jordan collab. Yeah, I mean he's no, just uh, he still has the question shoe with Reebok or whoever it is or some shit. Like they still have that. Mm. But I think I think when you look at other rappers or other athletes that might you know I- Iverson is yeah next to Jordan and LeBron Kobe you know he's one of the most influential athletes or especially NBA athletes of all of all time you know and, and influential beyond just what he did on the basketball court, court court culturally and I think that just gives him such deep connections where you look at other NBA players that might be starting cannabis brands or other celebrities maybe they have an audience maybe not but they don't if they don't have real deep cultural ties and connections, they're not going to move. They're not going to move units. Maybe outside of like, you know, there's going to be certain legends from certain cities that could attach to brands in a Boston or a Seattle, you know, like Ken Griffey oh, Jr., that. for example, if he, if he cookies came out had with point- Steve LaBelle, Cookies Maywood had Steve LaBelle who found Nipsey and owns a dispensary over here in the Valley called Lemonade, another Cookies partner. They had Gary Payton in the store. They had, the Fior family there, like like the select exhibit pulled up Mm. the, the, the power behind some of these brands, Viola, it's not great cannabis. And it says from green dragon on here anyway, like Viola bought weed from another grower to put in this bag, Mm. right. To match the quality, nothing wrong with that, but it sells better because of the brand, the elite level of the brand, Seth Rogen, elite level of the brand, his product sold out. He wasn't happy with the quality of the flower in it products not on the market right now you know what i mean 
and that's the nature of cannabis when you're when you're a brand at that level. Now, Seth, great person, funny, big ass brand, Iverson, whole different spectrum. Rick Ross, big ass rapper, not so, not so, you know, not a Cali rapper, that's a Florida rapper. But it's like, again, when you think of these positioning and the celebrity status, the fan base that these, that these artists, the communities they have built in, like they tweet it to half a million people, a tweet or a million or 15 million. You know what I mean? Russ has a partnership with Chomp. There's so much uh, that goes into the, the reason behind why these products sell out. But if they're not good, they don't sell. Two shorts weed, garbage. Soldier Boy's weed, it's like a seven and a half, two and eight. It was harsh. But that's because the, uh, 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 Riff Raff's weed, it's literally a brand called Midzotics. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Right? Uh, but let's talk about mids for a second because I think I think it's kind of a, an important topic. You, I, I don't think practice makes perfect. I think failure does. And I'd like to highlight Tilray. Um because I, I really like talking shit about Tilray on this podcast whenever I have the opportunity. So um, I look at, at Brandon Kennedy as, as the quintessential example of a person who doesn't know anything about the industry, comes in and says, we didn't come from cannabis. We don't know anything about cannabis. And we're proud of that. And we're going to keep moving forward and get all these soccer moms. And then they have this merger up in Canada. And then the soccer moms don't resonate with the product. They're not passionate about it. Uh, Tilray never leveraged uh, their their brand. They always had mids to begin with, and then now people don't resonate with the product anymore. On top of that, I don't know what the hell they're doing trying to have a deal with Budweiser that recently fell through. So then they have a deal with whiskey company and beer company that kind of just furthers my my experience with Tilray is not really understanding the industry. No one's busting down a door to have alcohol infused um, cannabis. Um, what have you guys learned from bad marketing or bad execution that I'm going to throw out as Tilray just by their whole market cap going from 18% in Canada down to single digits around 6%? Like, what is your opinions about the demise of brands like Tilray? I mean, they never had a brand, right? Like they never had, they're, they're recognized, they got big funding. The majority of their marketing was truly just investor relations, which is, to get people excited to give more money on a consumer investor level and obviously a large scale level. So when you see partnerships with Budweiser and that shit, like the fuel behind it is likely like, Oh, this would look good. You know, for some investor relations PR is like my take on it. Uh, I just don't think, you know, if you don't, it doesn't matter what you are, whether you're celebrity, big scale brand, corporate, small, if you don't understand who your customer is, what the messaging it is to get to that customer and how to distribute that messaging, you're not going to be successful. Even if you're a fucking plumber, it doesn't matter what you're at. And some of these companies really led with like, you know, we all saw it. This is the green rush. Invest in cannabis is like the fucking gold rush. And you saw some of these companies successfully slap. Well, before we were so rudely interrupted by whatever the fuck that was, um, what were you guys saying about uh, uh, how to not fail, you know, bad marketing and whatever? I mean, I, I think it's I think it's ultimately comes down to, you know, true marketing is like really finding who the audience is, what's the messaging that's going to re reach them and distributing that message. And so often when we see cannabis, the guys who are on the stock market or build out big, you know, the the big nasty MSOs, because I, I know I hate the word MSO now because there's a lot of really cool craft bands, brands that are technically MSOs. So I really don't like that that stigma. But the ones that we that tend to get thrown in that big bad ugly mso which also isn't always you know it's an inevitable thing i'm not here to like bash that business model um but a lot of those guys they didn't do marketing they did investor relations which was building up a lot of hype to get money which honestly was selling a fucking dream before it happened and a lot of them sold something that they had no fucking capability on delivering on mm. or potentially it wasn't even realistic to deliver on what they are so you see a lot of people you know, not live up to the hype out the gate. I look at it as like, uh, you know, the foreign players that come into the NBA draft. For how many years did we look at the seven footer, the out, you know, that had the outside shot where we're like, it's the next Dirk Nowinski, it's the next Dirk Nowinski, and they get to the NBA and they're there for a season and a half, you know, and never mm -hmm. average more than three points a game. You get sold this thing that's just not proven. There's no sustenance behind it. Mm -hmm. I also believe that 
the keyword is disconnect. Mm -hmm. These brands, at some point, there's a there's a time period, not just at any one point in time. There's a period of time where they're just disconnected and they have massive oversights and there's no uh, quantitative, qualitative, you know, kind of like accountability from other people on those people's decisions or their ideas. And my least favorite thing in cannabis is people who make emotional decisions from a business perspective about strains or branding or colors or whatever it is, uh, instead of going with a, uh, a infused data-driven version of that. Um, because the market data doesn't really lie. And at this point, like in the beginning, it was obviously hard to get a gauge on what was going to sell and what prices. But if you really thought about it, people were spending 20, they were buying 25 to $40 rates. So if you created anything in that price point, you had a good chance to compete, right? And immediately after you were on someone's shelf for 30 days, you would have a data point to, to, to consider changing. Do you raise it? Do you go lower? Do you split up some strains? Do strains sell better? Raise it two bucks, raise it lower two bucks, whatever it is, right? But nobody really thinks of it like that because they're too busy just focus on selling weed or growing the weed and they're bad at business in a lot of ways. And so I can't really speak to Tilray because they had enough money to hire people that were smart enough to figure it out. But I feel that those people in those days were supremely disconnected from the American market, which I was told yesterday, Canada has 38 million people or 40 million people across the whole country. California has 38 or 39 in the whole state. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you could have easily have identified that Toronto, the major cities with, you know, bigger weed friendly uh, demographics, they were going to be a little bit more familiar with cannabis than the rural areas that were probably more conservative and not really familiar with cannabis the same way that the United States is. And that's where the key disconnect is, is those smart people, they just got too smart and they didn't break it down and they were disconnected from the simplicities that cannabis really can be, which is it's retail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they probably went into Saskatchewan and asked a bunch of people instead of Hamilton outside of Toronto that had like 200 uh, medical shops more than Starbucks and decided, you know, like Tilray jumping into Budweiser. But like you mentioned, Joey, the Budweiser cannabis is going to be the thing that everybody goes after the highest THC at the lowest price point. It's not really the brand, but it's going to be that mass produced and it kind of reminds me of, of Oklahoma at 7,500 licenses and Oregon, we're seeing $19 ounces. Uh, I mean, is that the future of cannabis? Uh, TJ Organics got fucking fire in Oregon, but they're not selling for 19 bucks an ounce. How do you have brands and quality uh, intersect in that dichotomy of what people want versus what's good? Well, first off, we have to recognize that everything that we're seeing right now is done based on a reality that we all of us sitting here really had no control on. Right. Even if we went and voted and did this and did that back when this was all getting pushed through, ultimately, people that we probably don't know uh, currently or back then, they decided to push legislation through, which created the shit show that we have in the specific states, whether it's Oregon or Oklahoma or whatever it is. Right. We had all of us had nothing to do with that. But Every state's going to be different. Every state has their own in, uh, individual economy, individual processes, requirements, legislations. And that really creates a situation where the answer is yes, you're going to only really have affordable weed, but you're also going to have a ton of craft stuff. For example, you will see eventually people that only really sell dabs because they can afford to only sell dabs, just like a liquor store that maybe only sells IPAs, right? Or, or certain craft beers, right? There's an opportunity here for people to really, really become known for providing the best possible collection of curation of products at the right prices. Imagine a grocery outlet store that only sells flour. You don't have to wait in line with anybody that sells dabs or anybody that's wanting to buy the other stuff. Right. Those kinds of things don't exist yet because people are just thinking retail, 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 dispensary, dispensary, dispensary. But as soon as you can go right or left and be a little different, you're still going to win because the prices across the country will be that low. Oregon, Oklahoma, Michigan, California, plenty of weed, right? Plenty of weed all over the country now, right? Colorado, all over the, there's just, there's plenty of weed across all of America now, right? Yeah. 
you guys think that delivery and e-commerce is going to change the game and, and how people market and advertise online versus, you know, going to a rec shop? I mean, in Nevada, they sell $50,000 like front, you know, cases. But if you don't go in there, what's the point? With COVID probably pushing delivery forward and e-commerce being a thing, especially in Cali, the circumnavigating even delivery uh, or uh, rec shops. Um what is the future of cannabis and, and marketing and advertising? How do you get people to buy your stuff if they don't come into a store? Well, I think, I mean, it, it, online is definitely difficult for this industry, but if you look at who's buying online, it's a lot of young people that are on Instagram that are very savvy, that are on weed maps. Um, so there's advertising within weed maps or, you know, I know Dutchie and Jane, like the menu platforms are starting to add advertising for brands. Um, so there's, there's becoming these outlets that are, that are coming out for, for brands to connect with people. Um, but again, culturally, you know, when it comes to music and, and not, not just celebrity, like a rapper on a brand, but when a rapper mentions something, when a rapper posts something on his Instagram, you know, that's whether it was paid for as an influencer marketing thing, or just an authentic, you know, shout out or representation of a brand. I think all of those have effects. I think direct to consumer is absolutely going to help the, the companies, the small companies that have built the authentic fan bases. Um, there's a couple in California, you know, where you see areas where there aren't dispensaries and you see delivery companies that also have brands and they're able to pump a lot of their stuff through a vertically integrated model. You look at like a Washington, a brand like a Mad Mark Farms who actually has like, he's not a huge producer, but he has a rabid fan base. If you gave that guy direct to consumer access, he probably wouldn't even need retail. Um, and certain brands are really going to be able to leverage that the brands that don't have that messaging or that understanding of how to reach and connect to people, they're going to absolutely have to rely on retail or distribution partners to move their units because they're not doing it culturally or connecting to people. And so it's definitely difficult that, you know, the marketing or advertising challenges are not, you know, it's not to be understated how difficult it is for this space. Mm. But Joey and I personally believe that those difficulties and hardships create, create a shit ton of opportunity because everybody's sitting around complaining about i can't do instagram i can't run ads on facebook like i used to when i was doing this well, fuck then that's everybody's complaining about that you just do something fucking anything and like you'll have no competition because no one's fucking doing anything mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of opportunity to operate and connect with these relationships it just takes someone to like be creative and not just like stuck in the same fucking box that everyone else is in. So I don't have like a great specific example. Someone's got to pay for that. <laughs> no, but, um, but there's just, there's, a I have, I have, I've got two good, two good examples. I mean, we'll, we'll go well, first off the best, the best D to C the best brand at D to C in the whole country right now is for the United States is seven, 10 labs, hands down, hands down the best sells out in two to three minutes. You can't even get on it. It's, better than it's, it's more they're better at it than crypto they're better at it than than any any other project in the thing they're faster it's done just like that so they already kill it it's already happening it's already being done in the millions of dollars for a brand and then let's not forget too that uber and uber eats or postmates or whoever it is up in canada they're already delivering weed for people mm -hmm. so it's not about the the what's in the future the future's already started it's a matter of the legislation turning on and companies being comfortable with their banking in the united states to be able to do that as soon as they're legal to do that at their banks all the companies that already do that with the millions of dollars in the advertising they're going to turn it on they're they're third parties the dcc doesn't regulate advertising for third party people they're not calling respect my region saying you guys are breaking the rules the European Union and, and other American advertising uh, uh, groups that, that have to look at that stuff. And so most of that is, for the most part, is it's already started. Canada's already running it. D2C in California, delivering California has already done it. A rumor has it there's a group in Washington doing it. I think Oregon has it in some places. It's, it's, uh, it's already happening like crazy in Vegas. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. I get, I get weed delivered here to the house. Sometimes it's, it's crazy how it works. And I don't feel weird doing it because uh, it's, it is normal. And I think Mitch kind of said earlier, it's a younger demographic typically doing it at this point. Cause we're comfortable. We're more comfortable spending money and putting our card information and doing all that kind of stuff. And especially with cannabis, it, there's a little bit of that stigma still. Right. Mm -hmm. But it is that easy. It's all over the place. Um, I sell a lot of weed to deliveries. They buy a lot of edibles, a lot of flour, a lot of pre-rolls and a lot of vapes. And it's always, always extra cheap. Now, what do these brands do to market that, Josh? What do these yeah. brands do 
to get to the customer. Mm -hmm. The first thing is SEO. They got to be, their brand has to be showing up in all the proper places, especially for the market that they're trying to market to. They don't sell houses, so they don't need to be on Zillow, but they definitely need to be on the weed version of that, which would be mm -hmm. Leafly and Weed Maps and all the, a couple of the other three, four, five sites that they may, might be able to integrate with. Like get your menus up there, be able to take orders and get as many clicks and links you can to your website. That's always important. I, we've noticed that most general uh, websites or dispensaries that are not funded, if they're smaller ones, they start off with less than 12 pages on their website. When you start getting 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100, and we have 7,000 landing pages now on our website, mm -hmm. blogs and other things that we've added on, mm -hmm. your SEO and your power of your website, you start to not only build community depending on your content strategy, but you start to actually get clicks and views and rank much better. Uh, there's such things as Google, uh, uh, Google reviews. Those are incredibly important. Engagement on YouTube is incredibly important. And then obviously all the other ones, Yelp, uh, wherever reviews can be done, wherever, wherever people in your city are looking up reviews to go places, you want to be on that. On the West Coast, it's, it's Weed Maps and Leafly. On the East Coast, I would imagine Google is probably dominating Weed Maps and Leafly for things. Mm -hmm. And probably the Midwest too. So you answered my question about um, what are they doing? And I guess um, the follow-up to that is... Are other companies looking at that? Do they want to be a legacy? They want to, do they want to have a legacy in this market? Do you, when you talk to folks, do they have an exit strategy? Because I see that you know Bruce Linton left Canopy with three billion dollars that they had to write off from malinvestment. Aurora had a billion dollars that they had to write off from malinvestment. You know, when you talk about brands like Mad Market, Seven Ten Labs, they don't have that luxury. But Supreme got bought for about a billion, I believe. Or they went out and bought a bunch of companies for like nine, eight hundred, nine hundred million dollars. There was some four hundred twenty million dollar valuations that had me scratching my head. Like that's that's a little weird. That's a red flag. Um, what are you guys seeing in terms of uh, what people want? Are they wanting to be a Larry's Handy Mart in a world of Seven Elevens, or do they know that, or do they think that there needs to be an exit strategy at some point? Both. And also, too, don't forget, we're looking at it from a perspective of how it's set up currently today, right. and what, how the framework from the last 10 years. So I, I think it's all going to shift. And I think the people that are at the top right now, Stizzy has the biggest footprint in California. Mm. Cookies has another big footprint. 710 Labs undoubtedly dominates the rosin concentrate space. Uh, and then you've got Wana Wild and a number of other can and a number of other brands that are definitely positioned to not take, not just take over the, the, the small retail that you're talking about, but also big, big brick and mortar retail, the CVS is the Rite Aids, the Bartels. Um, remember in 2016, Mitch, when Amazon came out and said, uh, or, uh, who was it? Bezos said that he fully expects whole foods to be, you know, to, to offer cannabis in a 21 plus section, things like that. When they can sell it, ship it, move it, Mm -hmm. I fully expect it to be on somewhere like Amazon where they're going to end up partnering with people. We're, we're, cannabis is headed to the Tyson chicken nugget commercialization style. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. if you want to be in that big space, it's going to end up being who's got the most greenhouses, who's got the most effective, who can grow to THC effectively, uh, highest THC, certain strains and things like that. Right now we're in an era of cannabis that's on the back end of stuff that we like. It used to be fun. It used to be fun, more exciting. In my opinion, the weed's better now than it's ever been, which is very scientifically obvious. Um, but we're on the back end of a front of a, like a really fun frontier. It's only going to get more difficult and more taxed and like, in my opinion, more commercial, uh, more Costco style stuff. Like, I mean, again, imagine an, a, there, there will be a locker at Costco. You mentioned earlier about liquor with weed in it. Cali already has dealkalized liquor with cannabis infused in it. So you mm -hmm. get the burn of the alcohol, but you don't get the alcohol effect. Right. And so people are of the belief based on their research and their surveys that that's a market for those big brick and mortar shops. There's a million bottles in a liquor store. They're going to be one of them. And I think, I think for us too, like when we talk to people, I think it's a mixture. There's, there's a small group of people that are unapologetically like, yeah, there's a window right now for us to run it up and get acquired by, mm -hmm. you know, when, 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 like when Joey's saying, what's federal banking, 
you know, whether it's national legalization or just the banking thing passes, right? We're, we're going to see some even big... the biggest funds are literally only just weed friendly people. Yeah, we're going to see like willing to risk their money. They're not like the biggest they can be. You know, that's and not once... Morgan Stanley shit. And some people are ready, and some people are trying to build for that moment where they can sell their company at way beyond what it's valued at this current moment and get that exit strategy. But there's also a lot, and, and there, and I'll also say there's a lot of people in the the you know I call it the craft market, the Pacific Northwest that. The guys that worked at a, a Boeing or something similar, Amazon, who, you know, dumped a lot of their, their 401k into starting their cannabis business. And their goal was to, you know, get a more free to lifestyle. But their end goal was like, I'm trying to do this for five to 10 years and sell out, you know, cash out on my assets. I know a couple of guys like that. And it's not, they're not like trying to do it from a negative standpoint. I, I mean, whatever is anyone's exit strategy is their own prerogative. But there mm -hmm. are those people that are like, you know, I'm just trying to build this on paper so I can sell it. You know, some people are unapologetically that, but we do encounter a lot of people who I want to be here forever. And I mean, Joey and I used to hear this all the time. He used to fucking make me want to bust my head through the wall. It's like, when you think of X brand name, or when you think of weed, we want you to think of X brand name. And I've, I mean, I've heard so many motherfucking people say that where I'm like, well, 99.9% .9 of you guys are not going to complete that mission. So mm -hmm. I'd pick another goal. But anyways, you see people that are like, I want to be here forever. But to, to the point a couple of questions ago of we are moving to, you know, this corporatization of cheap weed, like on a very big level. And like what Joey was saying is where there's plenty of room for craft. And I, we had a conversation with uh, David Abernathy of the Arcview Group, who brought up this. I, I love it. I always have to give him credit. Put me onto this, this term, the culture of connoisseurship. And it's something that cannabis has, that wine has, mm -hmm. that beer historically didn't have, but has had. And so people understanding and looking to those industries in terms of how it's segmented of, you know, conglomerates, corporatization and craft and what craft companies do to thrive and what level they are. I think the people that are able to look to those models that are already established, it's somewhat what this model is going to look like. And they're able to build a brand in mirror of where certain things hold for not only the market now, but where it's inevitably going. I think they'll be able to successfully do that. But I think there's a lot and a lot of people that don't want to get bought out that are going to get bought out because they're not forecasting properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. No coffee. Uh, we're, we're, I'm in Seattle, uh, home of Starbucks. Is that going to take federal legalization to follow that, um, you know, Pepsi, Coca-Cola regional bottling thing? Are you seeing, I guess I'm curious about stupid products that don't make sense that you see people wanting to do um, chocolate covered espresso beans, anything that the data says don't do people coming to you going, yeah, I want to be the Amazon of weed. And you're like, yeah, it's not probably going to happen. Um, Cause we don't even Chocolates. have yeah. chocolates. Don't do it. Too many. Yeah. It's yeah, don't, do it. don't do it. They melt. They get dusty and they get the, the, the chalkiness if you don't get the, the situation bloom. down. Yeah, I forget what it's called. There's like some kind of ingredients for preserving it uh, or whatever it is. But yeah, there's just skip on the chocolates, uh, the gummy market. It's a race to the bottom. That's okay. That's a, I mean, yeah, you, I like to, you said the chocolate covered coffee beans. No coffee beans. <laughs> <laughs> Too niche. All right. Yeah, well, let, let those let those take your idea to the people that already do that. Let them manufacture for you do a 50 50 split. Right. Yeah. And but don't I think, do, don't think do it by what, yourself what, and bet your whole career on it. A lot of what we see that's terrible ideas is usually the ancillary space. Right. Where someone wants to be like you, whether it's the Amazon, the platform or some sort of kooky smoking accessory. And like there's been a, I'm not I'm. I know Joey's probably specific examples. I don't want to put anyone on blast, but there's definitely been people that have like came and presented things where we're like, oh, that's just kind of like a novelty item you would sell. Oh, I'm trashing. I got to trash these guys. No, 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 no. I'm I doing this one. This, I don't remember what, the, I don't remember the company or the guy's name. It's all good. He, he never, <laughs> okay. we, 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 out, we all asked the tough questions. We were at, uh, we were at a normal event. I won't say where, and the, the, uh, sunglasses, but you could pull it and smoke it like it was a pipe. And so you would just wear it on your face and it would smell. And they just, we asked the questions and they just were like, and then we asked the questions like, how do you wash it? <laughs> oh my God. Just like, I don't know no why you smokables your on your face, man. Like no smokables on your face. Home, you have your weed but... smelling like uh, weed smell on your face. Cop cops comes up to you, talks to you. You smell like weed. Like, nah, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of that. That's just one example. There's a lot, lot of it. that. 
where you kind of ask a question like, oh, you're going for this cheeky novelty item. And they're like, no, like this is going to be the next thing. And you're just like, whoa. Oh, I got another one. I'm not going to say who again, but this one really got me. Okay. So it was a bowl. It was a, it was a, it's a, it's a mesh. It's like a little mesh bowl, you know, like a, like it would hold your coffee. Mm. Not like the, not like the white paper, but like, you know, if you ever like, you know, the little, like a little cup, like a little mesh cup, Mm -hmm. you basically put it in your bowl and like, it was a preloadable cup. Like you could grind your weed and put it in this cup and then put it in your bowl. What about, why didn't, um, I want to talk about viral uh, stuff and how things go viral and, and um, canna, uh, I've never talked about canna bumps on this podcast because I think- Oh, I, I was going to say they were trash. Can, the culture behind cannabis is what, why Tilray sucks so bad is because they don't understand the culture. When you try bringing some shit in like canna bumps, I've never talked, this is the first time because it just bugs me to death that someone's going to be so <laughs> dumb. You're a fucking moron for producing yeah. a product like canna bumps. I don't know who you are, but I hate you. Um, it, what, what, what was the other one? Oh, um, the, the, the ceramic dab, um, dab tabs, know, dab tabs. Those never took off because they, I don't think they understood the market as if like, you know, moms, soccer moms were going to, you know, use these dab tabs or whatever. Um, yeah. Why didn't, what's up with those two things? I, I think, I mean, it's just misunderstanding the marketplace, right? Like when you look at cannabis, so much of cannabis is in the health and wellness in the safety from other drugs. Like we're trying, and, and just the essence of cannabis legalization, we're trying to destigmatize this thing so heavily. Yeah. And you're like, let's make it look like cocaine. And you're right. just like, what the fuck, bro? Yeah. Like it's just going against culturally, you know, politically, like every direction that cannabis is going it's going against completely against the grain in a very friction based way, which I'm a get like, I'm a big fan of disruption and mm-hmm. not following the herd. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a very, very big fan of that, but mm-hmm. that one, is just like, I don't know that. I don't know. I don't know how there wasn't a, someone in that room. I'm, I hope there was someone that just straight up quit. It's like, we're not doing this. And if we are like, I'm fucking out of here. Mm-hmm. And I hope somebody fucking jetted. So at least yeah. someone in the room had that much sense, but I, you know, I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why, I can't why think you... of any other bad products. I can't, I know Look, stuff has tasted really bad, but that's about it. Let's uh, let's talk about dab tabs. How come that didn't take off? Because again, I think you learn more from failure than than practice, right? And so, what do we learn from dab tabs, and why that didn't take off? Product quality matters way more than you think it does. More product quality matters more than innovation. Mm. So the convenience factor, price and convenience are the top two decision makers, and what makes people go out there. But if they don't have the experience, they're not going to go back. It's like those, if you saw the asthmatic inhaler for $120, you might be able to get a couple puffs and then it clogs. No one's going to come back for that ever. And they mm-hmm. didn't. And that's why they're not on the shelves anymore. Yeah. And I think, I think with dab tabs, I think I, I actually like the idea, right? Like how do we take dab? Like one of the issues around dabs is like dosing and, and making it like me being able to communicate, but obviously with cannabis, it affects everyone so differently. There's so many variables around that, but I like the approach in terms of thinking different, how can we solve one of the biggest issues around this product category? I like the approach. I'm not a big dabber, so I can't really speak to that that demographic from a personal uh, standpoint. But what I saw was a lot of people were questioning, like, you know, the big thing on dabs is safety. Is it a cleanse product? Mm-hmm. Is this, you know, the big selling point? This is pure THC that's stripped of all the bad things. And so when you start saying, well, what are the additives in that? You you know, you automatically have a very, very large uphill battle in that category. The moment you start having to have additives as a part of your product, when you're talking about a category that prides itself on being additive free, you know? Mm -hmm. They were bad because they were bad. (laughs) I didn't try them. I'm not a dabber, so I don't don't know. No desire to try them. So other people try them. Felt like all the content I saw that was paid for was paid for. And like, they just talked about it and gassed it up because they were getting paid to do content for them. And if influencers is your only marketing plan and the product's also not good, not going to be around long-term. It goes back to also what we said earlier. If you go with influencers (laughs) and you don't really have built in like really, really rabid fan communities, Mm -hmm. like there's a big difference between a celebrity and like a, a, like a true person, like a, a true brand, like 
there's, fam- there's lots of famous people and they don't they don't got people recognize them but they're not going to go they're not influenced by them they're not they're not a they're not brand influential and um you know it could be the standard person that you recognize from being in 50 different shows but like they've never once worn or done anything that like you relate to in a way that influences your decision. Like there, maybe there's not a cool factor and cool. And that's the cool thing. Our, what's cool to Mitch and I and cool to lots of other people in the world of music and like the strains that we smoke and shit like that. We're just a segment. Not everybody smokes how we smoke. Not everybody likes the strains that are the music that we listen to. They don't necessarily like the style of photography that we, that we look and that we think brands like it's all just a, oh yeah, we like that. That's tight. And we get good feelings and good creativity comes from that. And we've created, created boundaries for that, for our own stuff and that curation for across, you know, the different things that we work in. And most brands just are really not good at that. And then make, it creates a bad brand experience with a bad product experience. And then um, marketing always comes after that. And if they're bad at that too, it's just... Like in 2018, somebody gave me a dab tab. I put it in my wallet, totally forgot about it. And I just found it recently. So I've been rolling around like internationally and and all kinds of stuff with this dab tab in my wallet. And I looked at it and it's, you know, it looks like belly button lint or something. You know, I'm I'm not smoking that, but uh, yeah, it held up for a while and didn't get me in trouble. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. That's funny. I mean, at least in terms of the discretion, right? It's not a crazy oil and, you know, I don't know what kinds of rigs or whatever that's you're able to use that on, but I mean, yeah, it's not a it's not a little dab of oil like a jar of oil traveling through the thing, you know, like which I just recently got stopped in a big way at the airport leaving in Seattle with with weed on. It's just you can still get in trouble. What, sure. Wait, 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 wait! We can't end on that, man. What happened? Because I thought we basically had like complete amnesty between states. So you, because I've gone to uh, Hawaii with 28, 28 one gram joints and thirty pounds of edibles, and they didn't, they didn't have a problem. What happened with you? They didn't have a problem, or they didn't say anything to you. Well, so the dude looking like he he uh, the guy operating but like your bag wasn't searched, and then like. It was just another day at the airport. Not really. So they looked at it and he looked to a supervisor and the supervisor looked at him and he's like, push it through. And then the guy looked at me like I was like an alien. He was like, all right. And he just pushed it through. Okay. So that's that. So that's the perfect example. The guy said a cool TSA agent came up to me and was like, so my, I, cause I, uh, Mitch, I was just vaping hella on the way there. So I just got there and was stoned and forgot to put my laptop out in the midst of all the craziness. Mm. And so naturally my backpack sets it off. Mm. They open the first thing. It's just like seven, you know, maybe four, four or five, six, eights in the bag. And, you know, uh, my grandma dabs or something. And he's like, wow, it's just loud. Right. And it's funny because all the weed was sealed. None of it was open yet. So there's just how my backpack smells. <laughs> And so he was just like, yo, he's like, he's like, yo, I'm not going to give you no grief today, but yo, you got a lot of drill in here right now. If someone else were to look at this and, and like raise an issue, they're immediately calling the cops. You're missing your flight. Your whole day's fucked. And mm-hmm. you're probably going to jail because it's, it's illegal at like in general on federal property. Mm-hmm. So it's like, once you're in the airport kind of situation and you're through security, yeah, you're good. Right. But mm-hmm. when you're sitting there and you haven't crossed the motherfucking, you know, that, border that TSA yet. Threshold, is yeah, it, is when you ain't crossed the border yet, they can, you got the you catch the wrong motherfucker that day. Yeah, right. bro. They call they call the cops and your day's fucked. That's why so, no one's doing anything on the water, is because it's uh, federal with the um uh coast guard and whatnot. Mm. So people don't Absolutely. do like the Puget Sound. That's why nobody does Puget Sound stuff is because it would be federal in that situation. That, that may, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's that's the, that's the, from my understanding. The Pop Brothers of Law just did uh, Mark just did a video on that about how once you say TSA is federal. So as you go through TSA, that's a federal. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, you know, there's a couple LAX even has I think where it's like yeah, weed is okay at our airport, but it's the 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 preface of. Uh, that, that you do have to deal with that. And then when you're flying, you're technically going over, you know, if you're going over state lines and that's another, another federal thing. But like, mm-hmm. again, if you're on an airplane, you've already gone through TSA, no one's searching your bags, to, you know, it's- But you guys have baby then, faces. Like, you know, I'm only 44, but I look 80. So I play that old white guy card and I get away with a lot. So. I, I haven't been 
caught. I mean, I've had my bag searched for the same reason. Laptops, microphones, you know, I have a Zoom recorder that looks like a taser and it gets, every time I'm like, do I need to take this out? They say no. And then they pull my bag aside and they're like, oh, this looks like a taser. I'm like, this happens every goddamn time. Wow. Um, but, and I, I, you know, I usually have some, you know, something in my bag, but it's yeah. never been, you know, they never said anything, but like Joey said, I, I do know, I don't know. Most of the stories I hear people are okay, but technically uh, you're not supposed to do it, but <laughs> that's awesome. We talked about a lot, you guys, anything that, uh, that I left out that you guys want to cover right now. We got cannabis coming soon in Washington. We're working on cannabis projects in California, mass, and what is the other one? Mission, New Jersey. Yeah, well, that was down the line. So uh, yeah, we got we got weed coming in multiple states. No timeline. Just know we're grinding, and we appreciate you having us on, Josh. It really means a lot. You know, you've done a lot for the industry in Washington and cannabis in general, and so we appreciate the opportunity to grow and work with you. Yeah, likewise. Where can they find you at? People want to learn more about uh, Respect My Region. Where are you guys at? Uh, respectmyregion.com, uh, facebook.com backslash respectmyregion, all the platforms is respectmyregion except for instagrams.usa because like most people in the cannabis space, we're on like our fifth profile. <laughs> but if you just type respectmyregion or just, you know, I hate to Google it, but if you just Google it, I mean, we're fucking, you know, Spotify, we're on fucking everywhere at this point. So um, just search respectmyregion and wherever you're at and we've probably got a page there. All right. I think with that, we got to roll this one up. So I want to thank my guests, Joey Bravo, Mitch Pfeiffer with Respect My Region. Fellas, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Appreciate you. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.